a month ago, Judge Mark Toll refused to lower that bond. Reports are that the morning hope so glad that you've joined us in worship here this uh this morning whether you're joining us here in person here in west des moines whether you're joining us at hope Waki, whether you're joining us at any of our number of local sites or online it's just really good to be able to come together and to be able to worship and hopefully none of you but i would suspect many of you can relate to what you saw there in that video clip that started the sermon we live in a world that's busy from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, from sun up to sun down, 24 hours a day, we live in a culture, we live in a world, we live in a pace. There's a cadence to the life that we live right now that's it's 24-7, more than it's ever been before. We have access to things at all hours of the day. It's 24-7. It's 365 days. It's 52 weeks a year. There gets to be a point in life where I think a lot of us, we say, I just, I, I just need a break. Like I need things, if it, it would be just wonderful. It would be wonderful if things could just, could just pause. If somebody could somehow hit the proverbial pause button on life and everything could just go dormant for a minute or two. If I could just get a minute to catch my breath, to relax, to be able to plug in to things that I actually enjoy. I feel as if I don't get to do the things that I want to do because my life is so incredibly busy. Can you relate? Statistically speaking, it's fascinating. Statistically speaking, people will say that they're busier now today than they've ever been before. Generationally speaking, we are busier. What we will say, what we perceive, what the, the truth of our perception is that we're, we're busier now today than we've ever been as a culture before, you want to know what else is true at the very same time? If we're going to think about disposable time, disposable meaning time that we have that's not being occupied by sleeping, by eating, by doing other types of self-care, and by working. We have the same amount of disposable time than we've ever had before. So what's different? It's because the pace and the things that we do, it has a way of pressing in on the margins, doesn't it? I just got a simple question for you this morning. Do you have space in your life? Just, just another word for it would be, do you, have, do you have any margins in your life? Do you have the luxury, do you have the, the permission in your day to not have one thing overlap with the other? Do you have enough time in your day to get from one thing to the next without having to, to apologize to the next person, to the next per thing, to say, oh, I'm so sorry for being late, but I was just so busy. We all are. And it's a problem. It really is. 
And I know, and I can admit, and for myself, personally speaking, a lot of the things that I'm involved in, they're incredibly good things. Things that I absolutely love. But no matter how hard I try, I can't get God to add another second to the day. Trust me, I've asked him before. God, if you could just give me another hour, that'd be wonderful. I was talking to a friend of mine, really good friend of mine, just a, a little over a week ago. And he and I were talking about just, we'd been trying to get together. We get together once a month. We try to get together once a month. My best friend, we have to try. This is bananas to me. We have to try to make time to hang out with each other for an hour and a half once a month. And we've missed it the last few months. And so he and I were talking and we were reflecting on the last 15 months that we just have all been experiencing. And don't mishear me. Both of us looked at the, the, the reality of the pandemic and everything that we went through. And we both looked at it and thought about how awful it was in so many ways. And my goodness, as I look around the room here this morning, isn't it nice to be able to be back together again more and more each week? That's just so amazing. I turned, I, I turned to Pastor Andy here in West Des Moines. I turned to him uh, at the beginning of worship. I said, it's starting to feel like normal again. This is awesome. But we were looking back at the last uh, year and a half, and we both said we would never want to have to do that again. And there were so many things about that that were just, I mean, and just more than just inconveniences. Talking about real life, that people's lives were impacted in the moment. People lost their lives, and people are still dealing with the effects of it today. But my friend said to me, he said, one of the things that I realized uh, in the very beginning of the pandemic, when everything shut down, and while I'd never go back and do that again, I realized that I'd never spent so much time with my family than I did during that time. I never spent more time, even though it was at a distance, with my friends than I did during that time. So I never spent so much time being intentional with God that I did during that time. And you know, I, 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 I'd have to agree with him. And there's a part of me that would love to be able to say that, you know, we, we all kind of learned our lesson, but it seems as if life has picked back up it's like, we're, it's like we're trying to make up for lost time. It's like, whoa, we took a break for a year and a half. Now let's double our schedules, double our commitments, double the things that we, we're going to be involved in. And church, it's not good for us. We need to be able to unplug in order that we can start to plug into things that are actually going to, to give us life. A lot of times when we think about this, we think the culprit is work. We say, oh yeah, if it weren't for my job, if it weren't for the, the work that I have to do, then my life would have more margin in it. We don't work any more hours on average. And I know some of you, you, you think you're the statistical anomaly and you say that you can work 12 hours a day and that's good for you. It's not. But do, go, go on with that. Continue. Don't do that. If you have a job that's demanding that of you, it might be time to, to ask yourself some questions. Because time is a thing in life that's finite, this side of heaven. We don't, we don't, we don't 
get to get more of it. But the problem isn't work. We're working on average the same amount that we've ever worked before. And in fact, you and I have been created with gifts and abilities to work. I mean, you think about the, the, the nature of God, the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God, God didn't need us. Which is really important to remember. I think sometimes we get caught in this idea that the world, world revolves around us. God didn't need us, but God chose to create us. In the very beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning God, he, he worked. He created. It's just who he is. It's just, it's, just, it's just what he does. So God created the sun, the moon, the stars. He, he, he created the earth, he created the trees, he created the rivers, he created the birds, he created the fish, he created humanity. And what we discover 26 verses later is that there is a difference in the creation of humanity. There is something different about you and there is something different about me that sets us apart from all of God's other creation. That we've been created in his image. We've been created in his likeness. That we are created and bear the resemblance of a creator. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has given you gifts and abilities to take part in this thing that he's doing in the world. And the whole goal and the whole pursuit of life isn't to stop doing all the things. It's to be able to, to use our gifts, to use our abilities. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, don't use your gifts and hide them under a bushel or a basket. No, use your gifts, use your abilities, and let your light shine so people would see how incredible God is to be able to do what he's doing through you. But we get the cart and the horse mixed up. Sometimes we think that the chief aim in life is to work. That gets to identify us. That gets to give us value or it gives us our worth. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that in six days God created the heavens and everything in the earth. But on the seventh day, he rested. He stepped back. He didn't disengage. He didn't, he didn't check out. No, he plugged in. He look, looked at the, the world at, that he had created he, and he took delight in it. He found joy in it. Do you? Are you able to do this? Are you able to take time for this? There's this false message that says that somehow if we do this, that we're going to miss out. Now let me tell you that if we don't do this, we're, we're really missing out. This word for, for rested in the Hebrew is this word and it's uh, Shabbat. And, and the word Shabbat, I don't expect you to, to understand how that reads. It reads right to left, Shabbat. What that word means, and a lot of you have familiarity with this read, this word. The word Shabbat is where we get the word for Sabbath. You think about God gives us ten commandments. Gives Moses, through Moses gives us ten commandments. And he says, these are the commandments, these are the rules, these are the boundaries that are going to create the space in which you can live your life. 
And sometimes we look at God's commands, we look at the commandments, and we think that these are a way in which God's trying to prevent us from experience life. It's exactly the opposite. It's when we do these things that we're able to fully live the life that God's created us to live. First commandments, you, you shall have no other gods. The second commandment is don't misuse God's name. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Sabbath means to rest. Sabbath means to unplug in order to plug in to something that's going to, to fill, you, fill you up. Sabbath rest literally means to, to take everything that it is that you're, you've been holding, that you've been carrying, and be able to, to set it aside in order for the one who can only carry it to, to pick it up. Sometimes we say, well, I, that work, might work for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. Here's the way I look at it. God doesn't tell us to remember the Sabbath day because God wants to somehow get us to church or, or somehow to, to get us to do things that aren't good for us. I think about it from the standpoint when my kids uh, got to be the ages that they were able to start to take some of their personal tasks uh, on themselves. And one of the first things that we gave them, these responsibilities, was to be able to brush their teeth. And I found two essential problems when my kids started to brush their teeth. The first is they now make toothpaste that tastes like candy. That's a problem. We tell our kids, hey, go brush your teeth. And our kid, watermelon toothpaste. Why would you make toothpaste taste like watermelon? When I was a kid, there was AIM toothpaste. Do you remember that stuff? It had the real red streak in the middle, and they made it really red because it made kids think, ooh, it's going to taste like cherry. It tasted like garbage. And so when we would brush our teeth, we'd brush them so fast because we're like, ah, just got to get, ah, get this taste out of my mouth. Now my kids like, go brush your teeth. They're like, no problem, Dad. That was the first problem. The second problem is we started to lie to our kids because we didn't want them to eat all the toothpaste because it's expensive. We said, guys, if you, if, you, if you swallow the toothpaste, you're going to get sick. Go brush your teeth. They're like, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. This was only when they were little kids. My son last night said, Dad, everybody's going to think that we don't brush your teeth. <laughs> no, they do now. They started when they were like eight and nine. No, I'm just kidding. But they wouldn't brush their teeth. And they were certain that the only reason that my wife and I wanted our kids to brush their teeth was because we were awful human beings. And so we would help to try to help them brush their teeth. And we'd try to brush their teeth. And they, there was nothing that could penetrate the wall. Like we'd try to get the toothbrush in there. And they'd be, no. And I, I brushed more cheeks than I ever brushed teeth in my life. And they would say, like, why do we have to brush our teeth? Why do we have to brush our teeth? Because mom, mom and dad hate you. But also... No, like we would have to say things like this because we'd have to get there. You hate us? Like, no, now I got your attention. No, the reason why we want you to brush your teeth is because we want them to be healthy. We want your teeth to be able to do what God created your teeth to do. And if you don't take care of them, you're not going to be able to fully use them. This is what God's saying. God's not saying, hey, you got to rest because somehow God wants to, to, to put us in a proverbial timeout so, so we're going to miss out on all the fun. God's saying, no, when you're able to rest, when you're able to unplug, when you're able to do this, when you're able to plug in to who I am and to what I have for you, then you'll be able to truly discover and to live out who I've created you to be. And the stakes are incredibly high. 
Last week I've been digging around and just looking at different research that's been done. And it's absolutely, it's, it's haunting. It's haunting because I see in my own life how some of this can be incredibly true. 2019, there, there, was, a, there was a study that was done. 60% of Americans, get this, this is crazy. 60% of Americans responded that they were too busy to enjoy any part of life. And just by hearing the response in the room, I wonder if some of you are experiencing the same thing. Over half of the people in this cross-section of people in this place that we call home so that their calendars, their schedule, their commitments are so full that when they put their head on their pillow at night, they look back on their day and there is not one part of it that they abs were able to sit back and be able to take delight in what was going on. I mean, the psalmist says, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us, let's rejoice and be glad in it. Folks, this is the only June 27th, 2021 that we will ever have. We don't want to get to the end of our days and look back and realize that we did so much, but what we never did was actually live. 50% of people that were, that were polled said that they regularly lay awake at night, unable to sleep, because all of the things that are on their schedule that they're worrying about. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I can safely admit that there are many times that when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm just praying that the clock says something past 4 a.m. Because I'll wake up sometimes, it'll be 2 in the morning, and, and unfortunately, all of a sudden, I'll start to think about everything. Like, I start to problem solve at 2 in the morning, be like, oh my goodness, I have this to do, I have this to do, I have this to do, I have this to do. I literally had to, because this is, this is just, this is a problem for me. This is something that I struggle with. I literally had to take my phone and move it away from our bed because it was so tempting to me to pick that thing up in the middle of the night. To wonder if maybe I missed something. Maybe somebody was trying to get a hold of me at some time of the day. And if I miss, and so like I'm thinking to myself and, and I'm starting to write a, an email at 2 in the morning. Nobody wants to get an email from 2 a.m. Jeremy Johnson. Trust me. But do you want to also know what 2 a.m. Jeremy Johnson doesn't want? An email from you because I know that you're consumed with things that probably could wait for the day. And not because I don't want to hear from you. But because it can wait. Somehow, our lives existed before these did. Fifteen years maybe, these have been the way that they are right now. And somehow, if we lose it, we forget it at home, we start to freak out. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, I... Got a, a, a call. I got a call through somebody else at work from my wife saying, "What's wrong with your phone?" I'm like, "What do you mean? What's wrong with my phone?" My, my wife said, "Well, when I call your number, it says that this number has been disconnected." I'm like, "Uh oh." <laughs> and so then I pick up my phone, 
And I try to dial a number. When I dial the number, it says, this, this, this is Verizon. This number is no longer usable. And I'm like, what happened? And I started to think to myself, I don't have a phone. And if I don't have a phone, I can't live. And if I'm not able to, and then I started to think to myself, oh my goodness, how sick have we become? If my phone number doesn't work, the world is going to fall off its axis. It's not. But we're so busy. We're so dialed into this thing and to all other things that can be very good things that it's literally taking sleep away from us. Research will show that people need at least minimum of six and a half hours of sleep at night. And I know that there are some of you that say, not me, Jeremy, not me. Like, I'm somebody, because I hear it all the time. I can operate on four hours of sleep. Can I just be honest with you? No, you can't. You are not the statistical anomaly. Like, you alone are the one person in all of creation that God said, you don't have to sleep. No, you do. This is the way God created us. Like, our body literally repairs itself while we sleep. 75% of, of, of parents responded that they were so busy that they don't have time to read to their kids. That one was one to me that just kind of was really, was really scary. Our, our son is 10, our daughter's 9. We're halfway done. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally joking. Like, I'm totally joking. We're halfway done, and that's really sad for me. Because I love them. And because when I'm with them and I see them and I watch what they do and what they're involved in, what they're passionate about, when I'm able to, to put my arm around them and to interact with them, there are very few things that bring me more joy in life. But unfortunately, sometimes we look at, at, at our kids and, and at our families and we say, you know what, I, I would love to be able to spend this time with you but I'm just too busy. We've got a problem. And we can try to dance around it, and we can try to pretend that it doesn't exist, or we can step into the light. Because not only does it rob us of the the joy of life, not only does it rob us of the sleep that we desperately need, not only does it take away from us time that we should be investing with the people that we love the most, but it also is doing things to us physically. Stress, schedules, busyness is one of the leading causes to, to, to family division, marital problems. I mean, it'd be very easy for me to look at my wife and be like, hey, I love you. And she, for her to say, yep, I love you. And to say, okay, as long as that's settled, we don't have to relate to one another anymore. How would that go for us? The stress that we're under is one of the leading causes for substance abuse. Why? Because when we get to the end of the day, we feel like the only thing that can get us to relax and to slow down is if we use something that's going to physically slow us down. And those habits can really start to compound on them one another, can't they? It's one of the leading causes of anxiety, of depression. 
of isolation. Remember my wife Bridget and I had an incredible conversation about nine years ago. If you're somebody who's into kind of like some of those personality profiles, I, I like them sometimes, but I'm always embarrassed by them. So I know what my personality profile is, but I don't, don't tell anybody else because they'll look at me like, yeah, that's totally you. And I'm like, no, it's not. So if, has anybody taken Strengths Finders before? Clifton Strengths Finders. It's a, a personality assessment that it, it spits out like your five strongest attributes, which to me, I look at mine and it's like just the most humiliating thing because my number one is competition, which is really what, which means. That my whole life, I'm always like, I need to win, I need to win, I need to win, I need to win. That's why my wife has to say, is this really a hill worth dying on? And I'm always like, you bet it is, bring it on. <laughs> Number two for me is, uh, is activator. Like, I just want to do stuff. Like, I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of person. Like, when we first, Bridget and I were first going to buy our first home, we would, we would walk into a house, and it literally could have had no running water. It could have had no rooms. It could have been next to falling down. And our realtor, Liz, she would have said, do you guys like that? I'd be like, yep, let's move in. And Bridget's like, stop and think. Please, stop. Because I'm, I'm just like, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get things done. Number three for me is I'm an achiever. What does that mean? I want people to think that I do a good job. So you put those three miserable things together and you get me. It's wonderful. <laughs> and so that's how I was living. And I said yes to everything. Because if I say yes, I'm going to beat everybody. If I say yes, I'm getting stuff done. If I say yes, people are going to like me. This is wonderful. And I came home from work one day and Bridget said, Jeremy, you got to stop. You, you just got to stop. Because you can't, like, this isn't good for you. This isn't good for us. You want to know who wasn't telling me I had to work more and do more? people that I worked with and these are things that I, I was putting on myself these are, are things that many of you you're putting on yourselves you're saying these are the things that are going to, to give me worth give me value, give me purpose and that's why Bridget had this Jethro kind of conversation with me Jethro was Moses' father-in-law you could say outside of Jesus, Moses has one of the most important roles in Scripture, in the entirety of Scripture. Moses is the one that God calls to, to lead the people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And so Moses is like, all right, I don't know if I'm up to it, but I'll do it. And Moses was doing the best he could. And he was making sure that everything was going just the way that it was supposed to go. And then all of a sudden his father-in-law Jethro, father Jethro sees Moses doing all these things. He says, Moses, you need to stop. It doesn't matter how good what you're doing is if it's killing you. If it's, if it's, if it's literally ruining you. If it's stealing your joy, and look, God's not just speaking through Jethro to Moses. Maybe God's speaking through Jethro to you. It doesn't matter how great the things are that we're a part of. If it literally is, is, is stealing life from us, doesn't mean that we don't work a hard day's work. We don't invest in things that, that, are really, that we're really passionate about. But we need to be able to find our balance. Jethro says to Moses, Moses, this is not good. 
Moses is like, yeah, but Jethro, like I need to make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and Jethro's like, Moses, I get it. But you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear everybody else out as well. You need to take a break. You need to take a God-given break. You need to unplug, Moses. You need to unplug, church. So you can plug into the things in life that are going to last forever. That are eternal. That are not finite. That have the ability, that have the capability to restore you, to renew you, to revive you, to fill you up. When we so often feel so incredibly empty. This is why Martha responds the way that Martha responds to Jesus. In this interaction that we, so many of us, are so familiar with. It comes from, from Luke chapter 10. There's this time where Jesus is going to be a guest at the home of Martha and Mary. We know Martha and Mary. We know them from other points in scripture as well. Mary and Martha have a brother by the name of Lazarus in John's gospel where Jesus raises Lazarus from death to life. Martha and Mary would be people that would be familiar with Jesus. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, there is quite a crowd that Jesus has following, that, who follows Jesus. So Jesus is going to be a, a guest in their home and, and Martha's like, I need to make sure that everything is exactly the way that it's supposed to, it's supposed to be. So she's doing all of these things and she's exhausting herself and all these things that she's doing and she keeps looking in the other part of the house and she sees her sister Mary who it seems from the outside looking in, she's not doing a darn thing. And Martha's furious about it because Mary is in the front room and she's in a place which, side note, which is a really important part of the story, Mary's in the place that only were welcome to men at this time. And Jesus welcomes her, which we should remember that in Jesus, we're all one. We all have a place. But Mary's in the front of the house, and, and she's just sitting and listening to Jesus and hearing Jesus and hearing about his ways and hearing about his love and hearing about this kingdom that he's ushering in. And Martha's sitting to and seething to herself saying, oh, it would be so nice to be so lazy to absolutely do nothing, but there's incredible amounts of work to do. So Jesus comes to the back of the house and Martha starts to complain about all the work that she's doing that Mary isn't. And it's really important to know that the word for work that Martha uses in this portion of scripture, in the Greek, the word is ministry. And by definition, ministry is helping other people. Martha wasn't doing anything bad. She was involved in things that were incredibly important. But Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, you're getting, you're getting the order mixed up. Because Mary's discovered something that's far more important. Because the meal could be perfect, the house could be spotless, everything could be exactly where it's supposed to be. But Martha, if you miss what God's doing, for you right now, you're never going to be satisfied. 
life can be perfect. You can do all the things that you feel that you got to get done. You can order the things in life just the way that you think that they should be ordered. And God's saying to you, but if you miss the love that I have for you, you're never going to be satisfied. Because I'm the one who created you. I remember when I was growing up, we had this thing that when I was little, I just didn't understand it. My family, we didn't go out to eat very often. So when we did, when we did go out to eat, it was like it was a big deal. But there was this problem. It was as far back as I can remember. When we'd go out to eat, we, we would go and uh, we would get and we, we, we'd wait in the waiting room and then the host would uh, bring us to the table and, and we'd be seated. I have a brother and I have a sister and then my mom and dad, so there are five of us. We, we'd all be seated and I'd be so excited. Like I'd already in my mind know exactly what I was going to order. And then the server would come to the table and be ready like, hey, can I start you off with anything? And I would start, I would start to speak and my dad would be like, shh. He'd tell me to be quiet. And he'd look at the server and say, you know what, could you just give us some time? And I'd always think to myself, just give us some time. Dad, if we wanted to go to sit, we could go to a lobby. We came to a restaurant. We're here to eat. And so the, the server would leave and then I would start to pick up my menu. And my dad would take my menu and he'd push it back down. And he would say, what's the hurry? Dad, I'm starving right now. That's the hurry. And he's like, We've got time. What do you mean we've got time? So he and my mom would talk. They'd talk to us, and I would be so frustrated. So I'd be, like, peeking at the menu. I'd be devising ways that I was going to order way more than he ever wanted me to order just to prove a point that I was right, he was right, competition, that whole thing. And the, the, the server would come back and say, are you guys ready? And my dad would say, oh, sorry, we haven't had any time to look yet. I'd be like, you, what do you mean we haven't had time to look? That's the only thing that we've had time to do. I remember when Bridget and I started dating, the first time we were going to go out to eat with my parents, we were about to leave to, to meet them, and I said, hey, grab a snack. And she said, what do you mean grab a snack? We're going out for dinner. And I'm like, you'll thank me in an hour, like, because we're going to be sitting there. We got done with dinner, and she's like, oh, my goodness. They sat forever. I'm like, I know. That's just the way. I remember when our kids were the embarrassing restaurant age. You've been there, right? When you make the mistake as parents thinking, oh, it'd be fun to go out to eat as a family. No, it's not fun. <laughs> That's why they created fast food. Because your kids can't wait. So we would go. And my parents like, let's all go out to dinner. I'm like, thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. So we go out to dinner. And it's just bananas. It's nuts. It's chaotic. Like I have one kid by the ankle. Bridget's got another kid by the wrist. And it's like we're, it's, we're like the sprinkler that's going back and forth. And my dad's looking at both of us. We're sweating. And my dad's like, isn't this just so nice? <laughs> what? Wait, isn't this just so nice? And we're like, don't you know how crazy it is, Dad? This is a mess. And he's like, but isn't it nice just to be able to spend time together no matter what? We feel like this in life, don't we? I say, God, no, I'd love, to, I'd love to do the whole thing with you, God. But, you know, just things, there's just so many things. And God says, no, I just, I just really want to spend some time with you. 
There's nothing more important God's saying to you than me to be able to spend some time with you because I love you. Because in all of creation, you were my finest work. You were my most important creation. I created you because I love you. I created you to be in a relationship with you. I created you to be in your presence and for me to be able to have my love, to have my grace, to have my truth be the one thing in life that's the firm foundation that you, that you can build your life on. So I just want to get really practical as we land the plane here today to give you three very simple things because we can talk about it, but I think we can actually go and start to do it. I know it sounds cliche, but you're not a human doing, you're a human being. The psalmist says that there is a gift in life where we can just be still. So how do we do it? Three simple ways. First, make the time. Be unapologetic about it. Just make it. Let it be a first thing for you. Every day. I mean, every day. This doesn't mean that you're going to spend four hours of your day. It can be as short as ten minutes. It can be short as a minute. To experience Sabbath. Take all the things that you've been carrying and to set them down. I can't tell you how many times people say, you know, I hear about so many other people that talk about all the things that God's saying, all the ways that God's leading in their lives. Why doesn't God do that for me? Here, let me tell you the truth. He does. But sometimes the cadence of our life is so quick that we don't have the ability to see or to hear what God's doing. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, this is where he says, seek first the kingdom of God. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, steep your life in the God reality. Seeking the kingdom first. The God initiative, the God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met in the God who created you. Make the time. Not in order to get to God to love you, he, he already does. But in order that you'd be able to experience his love. The second thing is to protect the time. We are so distracted. On average, we have over 50 notifications that come across this thing on a given day. We pick this thing up and dive into it over 20 times a day. Each time we do it, we spend at minimum three minutes. It takes, on average, over six minutes to get back to doing what we were doing prior to picking this thing up. Put it down. Life's not going to end. But this isn't the only distraction. We got a lot of really good things. This is just the stage of life that I'm in, but I see... I see something that's going on with our young people right now that I just, I, I need to speak into it because I'm, I'm struggling with it as well. We have put so many things on our kids 
for fear of, of missing, that they're going to miss out. Our son Trey right now, he's playing in a baseball tournament. And he loves that more than anything. I want him to be able to be involved in that. I was able to be involved in it. I love it as much as any of you love it. Trust me. And I picked up my phone and I saw the notification. I saw that they won 10 to 4. I'm really happy about that. But yesterday they, they had games all day and they got done in time for, for Bridget. I wasn't able to be there because I had a wedding yesterday afternoon and worship last night. So they get into the car and Bridget tells Trey, our son, and says, hey, as soon as we get home, you got to quickly, you got to shower. And as soon as you get done showering, we're heading to church. He's like, no, no, I'm so tired. I played so hard. And she said, well, we, we got some options here at Hope. <laughs> we can go tonight at 5. That would be great. We can go tomorrow morning at 8, but you'd miss your first game. But we can go tomorrow morning at 8. We could go at 9.30. We can go at 11. Or we can go tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. Pick which one you want to go to. My son is convinced. You ask my son what he's going to do when he grows up, he doesn't even waver. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm either going to play professional baseball or I'm going to play professional football. It's going to be a really difficult choice, Dad. <laughs> and so I sit my son down and say, hey, buddy, you have a .01% chance. No, I don't say that. <laughs> say, good, get after it. Get after it. God gave you a passion. Do it. But let's just, I mean... Let's say he's part of the maybe 10% that get their college paid for. Wonderful. Great. But let's just go down the road and say that even he has the opportunity to play professionally. It's not going to last until maybe 41 years old. Nelson Cruz plays for the Twins. He's 41. People are amazed that he's still playing at such an advanced age. I'm three years older than the guy. What does that tell you? Is that going to last forever? Nope. Think about all the other things that we put in front of our kids. We say this is the most important thing. That you be in this club. That you be on, in, on, in this show choir. That you be uh, in this band. That you be a part of all these things. Those things are wonderful. And no matter how gifted our kids are in those things, because we all have the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most well-mannered kids on the face of the earth, no matter how great it is, those, there's only one thing that's going to last forever. The relationship that God is desiring to have with them. And so maybe... Maybe we don't have to withhold those things. It's not like you can choose your extracurriculars or you can choose Jesus. What if we chose both for our kids to say, hey, we're going to help you get after these things as much as your heart's content. If it's not your heart's content, don't push your kids to do them. Let them find something else that they're, they're in love with. But let you do what your heart's content is. But here's the thing. We're going to protect this time for you, and we're going to allow you to come to understand the love that God has for me and for, for you. And trust me, they're not always going to understand it. 
Trey didn't say to Bridget, oh, yes, Mom, what a wonderful idea. He walked into worship like this last night. I said, how's it going? He's like, I'm tired. I said, well, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and he's going to give you rest. Make the time, protect the time, and here's the thing, focus your time. Focus on God's love for you. That's what this quiet rest time is all about. It's not telling God all the things that you're going to do for God. It's hearing from God all the things that he's done, he's done for you. Because Jesus does say, come to me. You're tired. You're worn out. Feel like you're stretched beyond belief. I got a reality for you. I have something that will quench your thirst that this world can never satisfy. I just got to say thank you for getting it right most of the time. You're here. So church, let's bring it out there, okay? Make some time. Rest. Pause, unplug in order to plug in. And so as we close in worship today, we're just going to take a couple minutes. So I'm going to hand it back over to Hope Waukee. But here at the local sites in West Des Moines or at home, I want to invite you to stand up. And we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship. And I know that right now you're like, oh, we have like brunch reservations at 11 o'clock. If you're like my dad, you won't eat till 11.15. It's fine. You have plenty of time. But let this be a still time for you, a quiet time for you, a rest, a holy rest time for you. Because the waves and the winds will come. But Jesus' love and his promise for you is greater. Amen? Amen.